I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is a special edition of Workplace Strategies Update. Welcome to a special edition of Workplace Strategies Update. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on a single topic arising out of the serious and tragic incidents that have occurred in Colorado and Georgia over the last few weeks. That's right, Joe. Today we're going to be talking about workplace violence. And uh, Dennis, uh, this is an area of uh, expertise for you. Uh, a lot of our listeners will know that Dennis is one of the nation's top experts on the subject of workplace violence. He's written uh, the, the book Threats Pending, Fuses Burning, Managing Workplace Violence. I know many of you have read this book. Dennis, uh, why are we talking about this today? Well, you know, in the last several weeks, Joe, there have been so many incidents of workplace violence that made national headlines, some that didn't even make national headlines. And lots of HR professionals, lots of employment counselors uh, have said to us, hey, uh, what, what can an employer do? What can employers do? Yeah. Well, let's back up maybe just a little bit and let's talk about the problem more broadly, yeah. not just the last couple of weeks. What, what are the statistics? How big of an issue is this? Bigger than most people imagine. Annually, there are more than 1.2 million incidents of workplace violence, and that number uh, accounts uh, only for those incidents that are reported. It's estimated that approximately 43% of people who are threatened at work and 24% of people who actually experience hands-on violence never tell anybody. Wow, that's, uh, that's significant and shocking. So what, what, what can employers do? Well, first, Let's make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. Uh, the fact is that uh, if you follow recent events, you would be inclined to think that workplace violence uh, is only shootings. But no, workplace violence is defined as any act of aggression or threat of an act that threatens the safety, security, or well-being of an individual who is at work or on duty. So are there different types of workplace violence? Yes, yes. In fact, OSHA has identified four separate and distinct types of workplace violence. Type one workplace violence is criminal intent. Bank robbers. Bank robbers, absolutely. These are people that come on site for the sole purpose of committing a criminal act. Then there's type two. Uh, this is violence perpetrated by someone who is a recipient of uh, our products and or services, a customer, for example violence in Atlanta, the violence in Boulder. Absolutely correct. Then there is type three violence. This is employment related. This is a violence perpetrated by someone who has an employment relationship with us. They are an employee, a former employee, uh, a would-be employee, someone who applied but didn't uh, get the job. Disgruntled worker. Absolutely, disgruntled worker. Finally, there is uh, type four, and this is violence perpetrated by someone who has a relationship with someone within the organization. So um, an angry spouse, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a former spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm, okay. In the workplace, we're vulnerable. 
right? I mean, people are vulnerable. People know they're going to be in places at certain times, all those kinds and types of things. Yes. So is that, is that not true? It's very true. It's very true. And yet, there are some things that we can do to mitigate, to minimize some of the risks. Well, tell us some of those options. Okay. Give us some ideas. Okay. Well, for example, uh, one of the most important thing to do, uh, things to do is to train your employees. Train your employees on what aberrant behavior looks like. One of the things that happens is we have gotten so numbed to extreme or aggressive behavior that we don't recognize it sometimes when we see it. But there are these things that we refer to as behavioral markers, and we want your employees to make sure that they recognize them when they see them. They include things like fascination with weapons. Now, this isn't ownership of, this is fascination with. Uh, this is a person who may be brandishing a weapon, for example. Then there is substance abuse. 0.84, 0.84. Uh, there's a 0.84 correlation between violence and substance abuse, which means that 84% of the time when a person acts out violently, they are either at the time of the incident or chronically under the influence of drugs and or alcohol. 0.84. Mm. Uh, there is objectification and dehumanization. This is when the person starts to treat other people as though they were inanimate objects. Signs of severe stress, and in particular, signs of severe stress that the perpetrator has not been handling it well. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on, and this is going on. It sounds like they're blaming others, and it also sometimes sounds like they're giving themselves an excuse uh, not to uh, pay attention to normal protocols. So not just having a bad day or under pressure for a particular project deadline or something like that. It's more than that. It's way more than that. Absolutely correct. This next one, violent history. Now, it's one that we don't really like to talk about in our society. We are a society, a society that believes in redemption. Mm -hmm. Second chances. People ought to be given second and third and fourth and fifth chances, many of us believe. And you know what? I, I, I get it. But the fact of the matter is the number one most reliable predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, there is signs of poor psychological functioning. What, these, is, what is that? Well, these are people who just aren't doing well. Uh, um, maybe they're be they've become forgetful. Uh, maybe they've become uh, stressed out. Maybe they've become depressed. They've become anxious. Maybe they've become delusional. You have to pay attention to these things. Yeah. Next is decreased and or inconsistent productivity. On this day, I'm good for this amount of work. On this day, I'm, I'm good for only that amount of work. Well, HR is going to see that all the time, right? That's when they get pulled in. How do you differentiate between somebody who's just an underperformer versus a potentially violent? That, that's a good question. Two things. Number one is the underperformer, you don't typically see this. You typically see this okay. or you see this. Uh, but the individual we're talking about, it's up, it's down, uh, and it very often has a, a relationship, a correlation to substance abuse. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, this next one is social isolation and poor peer relationships, also known as the loner. Loners. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that a lot. You the hear loner. that a lot. You know, uh, he stayed to himself. Uh, he didn't like interacting with other people. Uh, in fact, he refused to interact with other people. He wouldn't work uh, uh, as a team member. Got to pay attention to that. Harassing others, just always 
chipping at the, uh, biting at the heels of other people. So not necessarily sexually harassing or on, on some protected basis, but just uh, annoying. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, not on a sexual basis, not even uh, any of the protected classes necessarily. Right. Uh, just annoying behavior. Absolutely right. Okay. Poor personal hygiene, not taking care of myself, mm. not being cognizant of what I'm presenting. Drastic changes in personality. I got a question for you, Joe. Sure. By what age, generally speaking, is a personality set and stable? Maybe in your teens? In your teens? Oh, no, much earlier than that. A lot of people will say in the teens, but it's much earlier than that. Somewhere between five and seven years old. By the time I'm six years old, my personality is set and stable. Now, I learn new things, obviously, but I'm a pessimist, I'm an optimist. Uh, I, I'm outgoing, I'm not so outgoing. Those things are set and stable by the time I'm five, six, seven years old, which you don't tend to see in adults, young adults, middle-aged adults, older adults. You don't tend to see flip-flopping uh, in their personality styles. Finally, bullying behavior. Bullying is defined as a repeated infliction of extreme and detrimental teasing and taunting of other individuals. And we see this quite a bit with people who go on to perpetrate extreme acts of violence. A lot of good information there uh, uh, for sure. What, uh, what should people do if they believe they identify somebody or uh, you know, a, a risk factors that suggest we, you might have a, a situation? Well, that's a great question. Make sure your employees know where to report their concerns. I can't tell you how many times bad things happen. And uh, as an organization, we're helping an organization uh, get back on track. And uh, I'll hear people say, you know, it was just a matter of time. I knew that this person was this, and I saw that this person was that. And of course, there's a part of me that wants to say, why didn't you tell somebody? But you don't want to blame the victim. But the fact is, very often our employees don't know who to go to with their, those concerns. So make sure your people know exactly where they should report their concerns about their fellow employees as well as customers. Would that be to HR? Very often it is HR. Very often it's HR. Now, some organizations have decided to train a very specific group of people. They call it a crisis management team. And these are people who uh, investigate allegations of uh, potential violence. Uh, these are people that attempt to inter inter intervene and mitigate acts of potential violence. Uh, but almost always HR is on that team or heading that team. Is there value to having a workplace violence policy that incorporates this information? You betcha. You betcha. You know what? It's really important for our people to understand uh, that we are a place that does not tolerate, does not condone, does not accept violence. A workplace violence policy is really, really important. Here's what we know. Uh, approximately 95% of your employees will acquiesce to your expectations when you make those expectations clear. Having a policy is a really big step. All right. What else should employers know and do at the Try to minimize the risk of these situations. Very importantly, make sure your people understand we do not want them to be heroes. Is that an issue that you see often? It is an issue, Joe. You might be surprised, and maybe you wouldn't be, uh, but some would be surprised at uh, just how often employees get hurt because they stay around circumstances longer than is safe. Hmm. So what should employees do if they shouldn't stay around these situations? Well, you want to make sure that your employees understand that in a crisis, 
in an emergency, when there is an active incident of violence, the first thing they should think to do is remove themselves from harm's way. They should run. Isn't that kind of an instinctive response? You want it to be, and for many of us it is, but I'll tell you, there are two broad categories of behaviors. Uh, and, and this is a broad stroke here. No one, not everyone falls into these categories, but very often what we see with women is they won't stand around and watch an incident unfold. And very often what we see with men is that they will attempt to intervene into situations for which they are unprepared. We don't want that. We want them to remove themselves from harm's way. Run! And if they can't run? Well, sometimes you can't run because uh, the only uh, exit route will take you right to the front of the trouble. So if you can't run without placing yourself in additional harm, we want to make sure that our employees understand they should shelter in place. They should hide. Close the doors, lock the doors, barricade the doors, turn off the lights, silence their phones. You want to try to get small and be unnoticed. What if you can't run and you can't hide? If you can't run, because uh, there's going to be violence that's going to meet you, and hiding uh, is not an option. Make sure your employees understand we don't want them to curl up on the floor and be victims. That as an absolute last resort, we want them to fight, to fashion weapons, chairs, uh, uh, fire extinguishers, throw something at the assailant, but don't allow themselves to be victims. Run, hide, or fight. You know, we're still learning a lot about the circumstances that occurred in, in Boulder. Uh, as you know, the accused uh, perpetrator of those events has now been identified. He's a 21-year-old male of Syrian descent. His name is Ahmad al-Alawi Alissa. Do you believe that there is the likelihood or the possibility that we could see some workplace backlash against individuals of Middle Eastern descent based on this incident? That's a, <clears throat> a great and very insightful question, Joe. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I hope not. Most recently, we've seen acts of violence perpetrated by people from just about every community you can think of. Uh, no one community in our society has been responsible for the violence, solely responsible for the violence recently. And yet, I do understand that there are some who are going to draw some conclusions and perhaps look to blame entire communities. I also think probably this might be a conversation for a future, a future podcast. Yeah, there certainly are some, some issues here. And uh, I know you and I both feel the same that we do, of course, uh, send out our thoughts and prayers to the uh, affected and their families uh, by, by these uh, terrible, terrible tragedies. And, uh, and Dennis, thanks for sharing with us uh, this, in, this information. Uh, until next time, I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this has been a special edition of Workplace Strategies Update.